Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church in Somerset, Kentucky. Please make sure to visit us online at phbcsomerset.com. Today I want to talk to you about redeeming the time. Redeeming the time. We are starting a new series, From God, For God. And we're going to talk about redeeming the time. This is one that's very interesting to me. If you're like me, you're always trying to squeeze out a little bit more value of your time. Now think about it. Time is the great equalizer. We all have 24 hours of it. That's it. No more, no less. And you've got to, do, you've got to be wise with your time. I was uh, reading an interesting question uh, earlier this week. Oliver Berkman said this, What will your life have been in the end? but the sum total of everything you spent it focusing on. Now think about that question. The sum total of your life ultimately will be what you spent your time focusing on. And I don't know about you, but we live in an age of perpetual distraction. We really do. Um, It is the distraction economy. Uh, Believe it or not, I'm going to share something with you that I think was said in probably the late 70s, early 80s, which is actually pre-internet, but these scholars saw it coming. Herbert Simon, a college professor from Carnegie Mellon University a, a few decades ago, said this. He says, information consumes the attention of its recipients, and a wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. Did you catch that? A wealth of information creates a poverty of attention. We live in an age of distraction now, perpetual distraction, right? We get a ding, we get a beep, we get a call, we get a buzz. Uh, We're constantly notifications. We're keeping up with all kinds of moving parts. And we live in this age of distraction. We have all this information at our fingertips called the World Wide Web. And with all this information, we can't take in it all. It's like trying to drink from a fire hydrant, okay? Imagine that for a minute. And what we're doing is we have all this information available, and it creates a poverty of attention. When's the last time you sat down with someone and had a, ah, say, a 20- or 30-minute conversation with no interruptions, no distractions, no nothing? Think about that. That is the challenge of our times. Someone has said that distraction is really confusion about what really matters. Think about it. If our life is the sum total of what we spend our time focusing on, then what are we focusing on? How are we using our time? How are we valuing our time? Uh, Someone that I enjoy reading, Michael Hyatt, uh, former CEO of Thomas Nelson Publishing in Nashville, uh, has his own company now, Michael Hyatt Company. He's written a book recently called Free to Focus, and here's what he says about about the day and age we live. He says, our instincts about productivity come from the age of manufacturing, when people performed a defined set of repeatable tasks and could improve the bottom line with marginal gains in execution. What does he mean? He says, we have a manufacturing mentality that says, hey, today you got to get 100 widgets. You better hurry. And then if you hit that mark, then tomorrow I want 101. And then the next day I want 110. In other words, I want more, more, more. I want you to do more. I want you to do it better. I want you to do it faster. And that's the mindset that we have today when it comes to living our life. He goes on to say, today we have amazing variety in our task. We're in an 
and we're in a data-driven economy now. And he says, we contribute to the bottom line with new significant projects, not small improvements on existing processes. And that's the root of the problem. By approaching productivity with the old mindset, we invite the burnout we're trying to avoid and we fail to reach our true potential. I think he's on to something. In other words, we have this manufacturing mentality that I've got to do more, I've got to do it faster, I've got to make it better, I've got to go, 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 and we live our lives that way. And we're chasing our tails and we're wondering why in the world, uh, why am I getting more done? And when it comes to my life, as Danny was saying, versus eternity and God, Lord, help me. What else can I do? I mean, how can I do it differently? That's kind of the question. As I study this, and I'm setting this up quite well for you before we dig into the scriptures, because I really wanted you to see the value of this, of this topic. There's actually five levels of time management. I don't know if you know that, but I've been researching this, and there's five levels of time management. The first one is the list, and you know what I'm talking about. I bet many of you go home and you'll go, oh, I better write that down. I'm going to put that on my list. And you've got this to-do list. And it just gets longer and longer and longer. And uh, a to-do list tries to help you manage your minutes. Oh, wow, I've got all these things to do. What am I going to do? And we try to manage our, our minutes. We try to save a little minute here and a little minute there. We've got our list. We check it off. It's done. Now on to the next thing on our list. That's level one of time management. Level two is priorities. We look at that list and we go, you know, there might be 20 things on that list, but there are two things that I really need to get done like real soon, like this week. And so you start ranking everything on your list and you develop some priorities and you say, I'm going to do first things first. That helps you manage your hours. You begin to claim a little bit more time back, okay? Uh, level three of time management is goals based on values. You look at that list, you look at your priorities, and you're like, well, I really would like to do this this week. And you have these goals, but they're based on what's important to you. And that helps you manage your day. So you go from managing minutes to hours to managing your day, and you start seeing a little bit more progress, if you will. Level four is where you want to just do the right things. You want to do first things first. I know y'all probably have heard the, the illustration and the story before. Somebody got a, a really big pickle jar, and they had, they had these, these, these big rocks, and they had these small pebbles, and they had sand, and they had water. And they began to put everything in that jar. And they did it different ways to illustrate something. That if you don't put the big rocks in the jar first then they won't fit. And so what that analogy teaches you is that you've got to prioritize and ask what are the right things that I should be doing and let's do first things first. And that is the fourth level of time management. It's a little bit step above priorities. You begin to say, there's a lot of things I could do, but what should I do? What must I do? What is the right thing to do? And you begin to claim more of your time. You manage your week. Uh, right things are done at the expense of getting lots of things done. And then the fifth level of time management, and this is what we should all strive for, is having recurring tasks that you do regularly that build habits. That build habits. And that helps you manage your month. And so you have more control of your schedule because you're doing the right things, you're doing them every day, and you're building these habits. Uh, you, you're just going to be a big game on today, right? 
and uh, may the best team win. But when it comes to the competition of it, you've got to be prepared to win. You've got to put in the time. You've got to put in the effort. You've got to put in the work. And uh, you've got to develop those habits of discipline. Everybody's talking about Kobe Bryant, who recently passed away, actually a week ago. And one of the things that made him great, he hit the gym before anybody else did. He got there really early. And then he was the last to leave. That, that sent a message how bad he wanted to be a champion. And he was willing to put in the time and the effort and the sacrifice and the work to do it. But it all was centered around building habits. And you and I will do better with our time when we build habits. Now, here's the question I'm driving at. How do you discipline yourself to do those key important things, those habits, every day uh, when you know you should? That's the question. We all know things that we should be doing, but for whatever reason, we're not doing them. We're not doing them regularly. We're not doing them consistently. Well, we're talking about time here. And a lot of times people will say, well, I don't have time. Well, the truth is, you know this, you always make time for whatever's important to you. Come on. Isn't that right? If you're hungry, you're going to eat because that's important to you. Uh, if you, you want to do this, you want to do that, you're going to do it because it's important to you. Well, with that said, when we do God's will, we're actually doing what ultimately matters for now and forever, just like that long rope that Danny was talking about. Now, with that said, I want you to turn in your Bibles to 1 John chapter 2. 1 John chapter 2. I'm going to look at about three different passages in the Bible today that hopefully will give you and I some perspective when it comes to time. And I don't mean time as just a concept, but the reality that every single day we're running around trying to do this, trying to do that, and we really need God's purpose uh, we need God's perspective so that we make the most of the time that you and I have. In 1 John chapter 2, in verse 15, the Bible says, Do not love the world or the things in the world. If anyone loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For everything in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride in one's possessions is not from the Father, but is from the world. And the world with its lust is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. Now I wanted to read verse 6, 15 and 16 because verse 17 starts with the word and. And I wanted you to know where that and was connect, what it was connected to. But really the punchline is there in verse 17. That the world is passing away and all the desires that we experience in this world. That is passing away. But the one who does the will of God remains forever. I don't know about you, but that tells me where we need to put our focus on. Where we need to place our values. We need to focus on God's word, God's will, God's work. Because that truly lasts forever. There's so many things that uh, can consume our time. I think we would look at our time differently if we looked at time like we did money. Sometimes, we're, hopefully, we're very careful how we spend our money, but are we as careful how we spend our time? A lot of times you ask somebody, hey, what you doing? Oh, not much. I'm just killing time. Really? I mean, is that it? I mean, I understand what you mean by that. You're just going to take some time to enjoy yourself and do nothing, and that's fine. But when you say you're killing time, think about what you're saying. 
Time is something that's precious. Once it's gone, you can't get it back. And you need to make the most of the time that you have. Another verse I want you to look at is in the Psalms, in the Old Testament. Psalm 90, verse 12. This is a very uh, well-known verse. Perhaps you've heard it or perhaps you will recognize it. But in Psalm 90, verse 12, the Bible says, Teach us to number our days carefully so that we may develop wisdom in our hearts. Isn't that good? He's talking to God and he's saying, Lord, teach us to number our days carefully. Why? So we can have a heart of wisdom. I don't know about you, but nothing lasts forever. I mean, we're living this life in real time, like a, like a movie, like a, like a video. It's constantly moving. It's not a still frame pr- picture that you can just push the pause button and live there as long as you like. No, life is like a moving uh, movie, a film that just keeps on rolling. The, and you've got you've to make the most of every moment because once that moment's gone, it's over. And so we need to recognize that time is one of the most precious things that you and I have. The third uh, passage that I want us to look at today, and this one we're going to look at real close, is found in Ephesians chapter 5 in the New Testament. Ephesians chapter 5 and verse 15. In Ephesians 5 verse 15, here's what the Bible says. Pay careful attention then to how you live. Not as unwise, but as wise, making the most of the time because the days are evil. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. Now, I love that because we've already read in 1 John where the things of this world are passing away, but the one who does the will of God will last forever. We've already read how we need to count our days so that we'll have a heart of wisdom. And now we're being told, be very careful. Pay attention how you live. Don't be unwise. Be wise. Make the most of your time. Why? Because the days are evil. And so don't be foolish. Don't waste time. Understand what the will of the Lord is. I am thankful that once I became a Christian, I was discipled and I was taught by someone that said, you need to pray for God's will. When I think about Brother Patrick's time, Danny, with us uh, years ago in youth group, the one thing that that just resonated in me every time we, we had a Bible study, every time he opened his mouth is, do you know what God's will is for your life? You need to seek God's will. You need to know God's will. But most important, do God's will. And I took that to heart and I began to pray and I began to study God's word. And I'm like, God, I want to do your will for my life. I don't know what that is. I don't know what that looks like. I don't even know where to start. But Lord, I want to do that. And I began to seek God about that. Here are four questions I want to give you today that you should daily ask yourselves if you want to make the most of your time and the most of your opportunities and to understand God's will and to live your life in a way that matters. Question number one, what is the wise thing to do? Go back and look at verse 15. Pay careful attention, he says, to how you live. Not as unwise people, but as wise. What is the wise thing to do? There's a lot of things you could do, but that doesn't mean you should. Are you listening? 
Oh, yeah, I could do this and I could do that and I could do all sorts of things. Yeah, you could if you want to, but that doesn't mean you should. What is the one thing that God says you must do? And start there. You have to do. And so what is the wise thing to do? Um, I love Andy Stanley's take on that. He says, you know, if you ask the question, what's the right thing to do? You're always going to convince yourself to, to move the line. Well, it's kind of like looking at that chocolate cheesecake. I know I shouldn't, but it sure does look good. It smells good. And you just kind of me- keep moving the line. Next thing you know, you're taking a bite, and then you eat the whole thing. The, the better question is, what's the wise thing to do? Well, if I don't make a decision now, I'm going to sort of drift over here. And next thing you know, I'm going to do this. And then I'm going to do that. And then I'm going to be going, why? Why did I do that? So ask yourself, what is the wise thing to do? And evaluate the decision in those terms, in that light. What is the wise thing to do? Because every decision takes you in a direction that leads to a destination. If you don't like that destination, then don't even go in that direction. Don't even think about it. What is the wise thing to do? The second question that we need to ask ourselves is, am I leveraging opportunities for God's kingdom? Am I leveraging opportunities for God's kingdom? Look at verse 16. It says, making the most of the time because the days are evil. Let that sink in for a minute. You and I should make the most of our time. And the biggest reason why is the days are evil. Yes, life is short and and all those other things could be put in there. But scripture says the days are evil. And when you look around, don't get caught up in, well, look what they're doing, look what she's doing, look what he's doing. Well, I guess I can just sort of drift over here and I can do my own thing. Why would you do that? Go back to what the Scripture says. Make the most of your time. So many times we live our lives to where, well, I want to be here in a year. I want to be here in five years. And we're focused so much on the future and we're so goal-directed that we forget that we're living right here, right now. What are you doing right now to leverage the opportunities God has for you for God's kingdom? Let me put this down real low where you can catch it. Right now, you might be in a job and you say, you know, I really don't like this job but I've been working here 20 years, and so I guess I'm going to stick with it. Or maybe you're in school, and you're like, you know, I really don't like my classmates, but in a few short years, we're going to graduate, and we're going to go our separate directions anyway, so it really doesn't matter. Okay, now listen to me. Before you try to jump out of the stage of life and situation you're in to get to the next one that you're so looking forward to, and it's going to be so much better, I won't have those problems anymore. Before you try to jump to the next chapter of your story, Please realize something. You're in this chapter right now. What are you going to do to leverage the opportunities you have right now for the kingdom of God? How do you want to look back on your life and say, you know, I remember that stage. It was tough. It wasn't easy. But I sought God. I trusted God. I obeyed God. And I leveraged everything at my disposal for God's kingdom in that moment, in that chapter of my life. I am thankful when I look back that God has used different people in my life at different times. When I was young, when I was school, when I went to college, my first job. I can just look back at the different seasons and stages of my life 
and I can see how God has used different people at different times to minister to me, and I can't help but think it was because they were willing to leverage an opportunity for the kingdom of God. Wouldn't it be great if you and I did that as well? Look at the opportunities around you right now. Look at the relationships you have. Look at the resources you have. Look at everything at your disposal and say, God, how can I leverage this moment, this season for your kingdom? And do it. See, that's the thing. The Greek word here is called kairos. And it literally means a time or a season. And just like Ecclesiastes says, there's a time and a season for every activity under heaven. I want to tell you, you need to understand that life is lived in stages but it's discerned in seasons. Do you know what season you're in? Do you know what season you are in life? Uh, you might be in a season where you are learning. You might be in a season where you're, you're raising a family. You might be in a season where you're mentoring someone. You might be in a season where you're preparing the next generation for, for their moment, whatever it is. But every single one of us is in a season. And whatever season you're in, whatever stage of life you're in, are you leveraging the opportunities you have for the kingdom of God? Well, if we ask that question daily, I think we would get some really good answers. The third question I want to give you this morning is this. Do I have a clear understanding of God's perspective about my situation? Do I have a clear understanding of God's perspective about my situation. Look in verse 17 there in Ephesians 5, verse 17. So don't be foolish, but understand what the Lord's will is. I'll emphasize that first part. Don't be foolish. Or as some people in my life have said, hey, Corey, don't be stupid. You need people like that in your life that'll just shoot straight with you. And uh, when it comes to your life, think about it. Do you have a clear understanding? Do you have clarity on God's perspective about your situation? If you don't, then be honest enough to admit to yourself and to God that you don't. And that's, that's, that's where you start right there. God, I don't understand. I, don't, I can't make sense of what's going on. I don't know what time it is in my life. I'm not sure what season I'm in. I'm not sure what I'm supposed to do. Acknowledge it and seek God. You pray. You get in the Word, talk to other seasoned saints, believers in Christ, but you seek God until He gives the answer. And rest on the promise that God says, if you seek me with your whole heart, what does He say? You'll find me. And so get clear on what God wants you to do. If you're not clear, that's where you better park and spend a lot of time and focus. And you don't have to worry. God's not, God's not trying to... Um, confuse you. God's not the author of confusion. Now, God uh, does, I think, you know, the Bible says that we have a God who hides himself, but I think sometimes God hides himself because he wants us to seek him. But the beautiful thing is, he says, if you seek me, you'll find me. He's not playing hard to get. He just wants you to look to him and stay focused on him and depend fully on him. So if you'll seek him with your whole heart, the Bible says you will find him. The fourth and final question I would give you today that we need to ask ourselves every day in order to make the most of our time. Number four is, will I pursue and obey God's will? Will I pursue and obey God's will? I tried to put this in graphic form, 
and I succeeded partially, but I never could get it to work on my computer. But I had made a little matrix, if you will, this week. Just four boxes, okay? Just a, a box, draw it, you got four quadrants. And on the... Um, on one axis, the one going up is commitment, and on the other one is clarity. And I thought, you know, when it comes to God's will, we need to be committed to it, and we need to be clear, what does God want me to do? And then we're committed to doing it. And then as I looked at this matrix based on those uh, two thoughts, I came up with four different attitudes that people can have about God's will. The first one is they demand it. You see, they they, they're really not committed to God's will, and they're not even clear on God's will. But when they want to know what it is, I want to know what God wants me to do. And they demand it right then. Well, first of all, let me say, God is not a genie in a bottle, and He doesn't work that way, okay? And so people can say, hey, God, I need some guidance, and I want it right now. Chop, chop. So what? God doesn't work like that. He's not a genie in a bottle, Sometimes I think people have that expectation. They demand God's will on their timetable, on their terms. And then they may or may not do it. That's obviously a wrong attitude. And then there are people that are highly committed to God's will, but they're not very clear on what it is. You ask them, hey, do you want to do God's will? Well, sure I do. Well, do you know what it is? I don't have the foggiest. I'm just not sure. And uh, I call that the direct people. Uh, they just want God to uh, step in and, and take the wheel. And then once they've navigated a certain leg of the course that they didn't understand, then they're like, okay, I want the wheel back, God. I've got it now. Thank you. And so they want God to direct their path, but only when it's convenient, only, only you know, when they don't know something, and then I'll take it from here, God. And they just kind of, they feel like I can encourage people to just say, well, you know, I'm committed to God's will, and because I'm committed to God's will, even though I don't know it, I'm sure that he'll step, out, step in when I need it, and he'll take care of it. And although I admire that thought, I think it's a little misguided. I think it's slightly naive, because we ought to be taking the time to seek God. We ought to be taking the time to ask God, God, what do you want me to do? And God, if I don't understand, I'm going to seek you about this because I want to understand what your will is. And then I look at the third option. The third option on this matrix would be those that aren't very committed to God's will, but they're really clear on it. And you go, well, that doesn't make sense. Okay, I'll give you a Bible example. How about Jonah? He was really clear on what God's will was. God said, Jonah, go to Nineveh and preach. How clear do you want to get? Jonah knew exactly what God wanted him to do, but he sure wasn't committed to it, was he? You know that story. And so there are some people out there that instead of demanding God's will or hoping God will just direct them if they just don't do anything, there are some people that dread God's will. They're like, oh, I really don't want to do that. There's some people that secretly say to themselves, Lord, I would ask you what you want me to do, but I'm afraid if I do that, you might send me to Africa or the Middle East or somewhere way out there, and I don't want to do that, so I'm just going to... The Bible says, let your words be few, so God, I'm just going to do that. I'm just going to let my words be few. I'm not going to say anything. And that's, that's what we do. What I'm trying to say is this. The people that dread God's will, they act like they have to endure it. It's kind of like taking medicine. Well, I guess it's good for you, but it sure don't taste good. Uh -huh. 
I just don't know. All three of these examples are bad attitudes, wrong views of God's will. Ideally, this is what it's about. When you have high clarity and high commitment on God's will, you delight to do it, and you actually enjoy it. That is possible. It really, really is. When you're really, really clear on, God, this is what you want me to do. You've sought God. You've prayed. You've, you've, you've heard Him speak through the Word. You, you sense the movement of His Spirit. You sense God pointing you in a certain direction, and it's getting clear. And He's put this seed, this desire seed in your heart, and it's starting to water through prayer and through the Word, and you sense that God has put something in you that He's calling you to do, and, and you want to do it. You're clear on it and you want to do it, that's when you truly delight in doing God's will. That's what I would love to see for all of us, is not only to ask these questions, what's the wise thing to do? Am I leveraging opportunities for the kingdom of God? Do I have a clear understanding of God's perspective on my situation? But will you pursue and obey God's will? Well, I want to wind this up with a couple more things. Bottom line, when I think about this message today about redeeming the time, how are we going to make the most of every opportunity in our lives? I want you to live in the eternal now. Now, what do I mean by that? Live in the eternal now. Realize that this moment is here, and then it's gone just like that. And you can't get that moment back. So live each moment in light of eternity. And when you live each moment in light of eternity, then you ask yourself this question, and I guess this is another question to ask. What must I do now that I won't be able to do later and I'll regret if I don't do something about it? That question helps me a lot. What must I do now? And if I don't do it now, it won't get done and I'll regret that I didn't do it. That will help you define your priorities really, really quick. And remember that everyone's future is eternal, just like Danny used the rope. Everybody's future is eternal. It's just either heaven or hell. I want you to get a sense of that. I'll never forget. I won't go into detail, but years ago when I was younger and I had not been a Christian very long, and I was praying for someone and I knew they didn't know the Lord. I could tell by the way they, they, they talked. I could tell by the way they lived their life. And whenever I tried to talk to them about the Lord, I just got the, the rough treatment. And then they died. And I went home, and I prayed, and I processed that. God, their life's done. The decisions they made, they're already done. How do I deal with this? And the thing that the Lord showed me not that I can change or do anything different, but moving forward, he taught me that people are eternal. That's why Christ died for them. He knows what's really at stake. Because when man sinned against God, not only did that separate them from God, but think about what's at stake. Are we going to be separated from God forever? People think many times when you die, it's kind of like a video game. The screen goes black and it says game over. No big deal. But I want to tell you something. Jesus taught a lot about hell. He said it's where the fire is not quenched. He says it's where the worm, you know, never dies. He, he says it's where people grind their teeth and it's pain and agony, it's torment. In other words, 
there is an awareness, there is a consciousness that happens to those that die and go to hell, and they are there forever and ever and ever. It's eternal death. And heaven's the exact opposite. Heaven is eternal life. When you think about it in those terms, think of that rope. And your life is just, it's short, it's fast, it's not very long, and it's over. But think about the consequences of all of eternity. And I want you to realize that everyone's future is eternal, but is it heaven or is it hell? So what does God want you to do? One of these days, we're going to meet our maker. Jonathan Edwards, one of the preachers that was used during the great awakening in our country in the 1700s, he said this about time. He said, time that is past, you can never recall. Of time to come, you're not sure at all. Only the present is now in your power. Therefore, redeem and improve every hour. Think about that. You can't do anything about the past. You can't do anything about the future. But you can do something about the time you have right now. What are you going to do with it? I'm going to end with this last verse. The Bible says in 2 Corinthians chapter 6, verse 2, At an acceptable time, I listen to you, says the Lord, in the day of salvation, I helped you. See, now is the acceptable time. Now is the day of salvation. I love that. Scripture says that now, today, is the day of salvation. What does that mean? Here's what that means. That means today, if God is speaking to you, then you need to listen to Him, you need to trust Him, and you need to obey right now. Now, this isn't, I'm not trying to be a high-pressure sales guy. I'm not. Here's what I want you to realize. When God speaks to you, He wants you to know and do something about it right then. Not 10 minutes later, not 10 days later, not 10 years later. That's why this is so important. So many times, you know, we, we talk about we want to know what God wants us to do. And then when God speaks, well, let me think about it. Well, let me pray about it. Well, let me just wait and see if this is just a thing and it fades and then it's no big deal. No, 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 listen. If God is truly speaking to you, then you need to respond to Him right now. Because we have this tendency to put it off and to say, ah, oh, I'll do it tomorrow. It'll wait. No big deal. I can do it anytime. Do you really know that? You see, the one thing we can't control is life and death. And you and I don't know the number of our days. When Kobe Bryant got on that plane last Sunday... He was going to go to a basketball game. And then things happen. And that's life. I mean, when you least expect it, it's over. Ready or not, it's done. It's over. It's gone. That's time. Time is the most precious commodity we have because we can't get out our billfold and buy back last week. Last week's gone. It's done. It's over. And so when God speaks to you, the Bible says today is the day of salvation. Now is the time. When God speaks to you, now is the time to hear Him. Now is the time to trust Him. Now is the time to take that step of faith and obey Him. And when you do, you'll be blessed. I want to encourage you today to make the most of every opportunity God gives you. Don't get to the end of your life and say, what did I do with this rope? Make sure that you did all that you could for Jesus Christ. Make sure that you gave Him your life and you say, God, not only do I want to know your will, 
I want to follow and obey your will. I want to make the most of every opportunity. Thanks for listening to this sermon podcast from Pleasant Hill Baptist Church. To learn more about the church, find out meeting times, or learn how to contact the pastor, please visit phbcsummerset.com. Thank you.